As we interact with God's word this morning, keep in mind, as I occasionally say, as I share from scripture, that comes from three love affairs. I love God, I love his word, and I love you as a body of believers. And I share scripture from a heart of love. And I've entitled my message this morning, The Radical Bridegroom. As I've been studying through Mark, it has happened quite often that I've said to myself, even though I've been walking with God for some 45 years, Mark's gospel is really rattling me in a lot of ways as I see Christ, perhaps in a deeper and fuller way than I've seen him before. And I trust you'll get just a little insight that Christ is a radical bridegroom as we interact with Mark chapter 2 this morning. Let's pray together. Fathers, we interact with your word. We want to be sensitive to hearing, to applying in our lives, allowing Christ to transform us as we surrender to you and to your spirit at work in us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 2, reading together verses 18 through 22 in just a few moments. Mark 2, 18 through 22, we'll read in just a few moments. There are two kings in the Old Testament who were confronted by prophets. One chose to defend himself and justify his sin, thus losing his kingship, Saul. The other chose to admit he had sinned, confessed his sin, accepted the consequences, thus being called a man after God's own heart, David. As we consider Mark's gospel, in a sense, we choose to be a Saul or a David by how we respond to Christ being revealed. If we fill our head with knowledge alone concerning Christ, we're like King Saul. If we learn of Christ in Mark's gospel and let it impact our thinking, our beliefs, our attitudes, our words, our actions, we're like King David. James 1 and verse 22 says, Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James 1 verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered. Last week we looked at this passage, we want to consider it again, spending some time on primarily application. But the flow of this passage is very interesting. As you look at Mark 2, verse 1, through chapter 3 and verse 6, we find that there's a series of accounts of how Jesus responds. And in chapter 2, 1 through 12, 
we find that their antagonism remains largely unspoken. We find that Jesus heals a paralyzed man. He forgives his sins. And he knows what they're thinking, you know. Their thinking is that, you know, this guy that does this is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? They thought that and Jesus responded. In chapter 2, 13 through 17, when Jesus spends some time with the tax collectors and sinners having a meal with them, he calls Levi, tax collector, to be a follower of his. And then in verses 18 through 22, which we just read, when Jesus says, my disciples don't have to fast. And in 23 through 28, which we'll consider next week, concerning the Sabbath, when he says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, there's a verbal confrontation. And then in chapter 3, 1 through 6, we find that this confrontation intensifies to the point that the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus gets into trouble over and over again with the religious leaders. The conflict intensifies ultimately to the point where he is crucified later on in Mark's gospel. We find that in each situation, Jesus just blows away the thoughts that the religious people had concerning himself. We find that John's disciples and the Pharisees, they're fasting. Remember, they fasted twice a week when the scripture said that they only needed to fast once a year. There are a lot of rules and regulations. So some people come to Jesus and ask, you know, why are John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus gives a response in verses 19 and 20 that the bridegroom is present. And we discussed the whole issue of <clears throat> bridegroom weddings and so on. That when the bridegroom is present, a wedding is taking place, there's seven days of feasting. There's not fasting. And Jesus in the process is saying, I am the bridegroom. And with the bridegroom present, you don't fast. But notice in verse 20, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Jesus says, you know, the day is coming when the bridegroom, I'm the bridegroom, will be taken away from my followers. The implication is that it's going to be a forcible removal. Mark already implied that as Jesus began his ministry in chapter 1 and verse 15, that John the Baptist was put in the prison. In the verse we just read in verse 20 of Mark 2, Jesus is implying that one day in the future, I am going to be taken away from you. Just as John the Baptist went into prison, and in Mark 6 we find that he is killed, one of these days I'm going to be taken away from you. And we know that he was. He went to the cross. But while Christ is present with his disciples, as the bridegroom, there's feasting, not fasting. 
And as we find with John the Baptist, as we find with Jesus here, and as we will see later on, they're plotting to kill Jesus. That throughout the Gospel of Mark, as Mark writes to the believers in Rome, there's encouragement. You're under persecution in Rome. John the Baptist died for his faith. Jesus dies for his because of who he is. And you in Rome are going to be persecuted. That's part of walking with the bridegroom on planet Earth. And we found last week, and just touch on it briefly, Jesus goes on in verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. If he does, a new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. <clears throat> so you have an old garment. It's already shrunken. You take a new patch that has not been washed yet. You sew it on. When you wash it, it's going to shrink and pull away. And Jesus says, I'm the new patch. He talks about old wineskins and new wineskins. You don't take new wine and put it in old wineskins because as the wine ferments, it stretches the wineskins. And the old wineskins can't stretch anymore. It'll burst. Jesus very clearly is stating that I, as the bridegroom, I'm a new patch. I can't be attached to the pharisaical system. I can't be attached to the Mosaic law. I'm something new. I'm new wine. I can't be placed in the old wineskins of the Mosaic law. I can't be placed in the wineskins of the Pharisaical worship. I'm new wine. Jesus is making a very final statement. If you take a new patch and put it on an old garment, it will pull away. If you take Jesus and try to attach him to something else, it become, he becomes worthless. If you take Jesus and try to put him into a religious system, he becomes worthless because he's a new patch. He is new wine. What is the point Jesus is making in Mark 2, 18 through 22. I'm in the conviction that Jesus is simply saying, or Mark, as he writes about Jesus, Jesus cannot be attached to the Mosaic law or a religious system. He is unique. He's a bridegroom. He's a new patch. He's new wine. He stands apart from everything in the past, everything in the present, and everything in the future. You can't attach him to any religious system. He's new. He's different. And I would challenge you sometime to read through the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of John, and just see Jesus for who he is. He's very radical. He's saying to the Pharisees, I can't be attached to a religious system. I can't be part of your religious system. I can't be part of the Mosaic law. Because later on we find he came to fulfill the law. He's radical. 
Why? Because he's calling tax, a tax collector, Levi, to follow him. He's radical. He's sitting down with sinners and tax collectors and feasting with them. He's shaking the whole religious system. And as he is doing this, Simon, Andrew, James, and John remain with Jesus. They are learning by experience to know Jesus. They experience the healing of the paralytic and Jesus forgiving his sins, though showing himself to be God. They experience Jesus calling the tax collector to follow him and then feasting with the sinners and the tax collectors. They hear him say, I've not come to call the righteous but sinners. They experience Jesus telling people that I'm the bridegroom, I'm the new patch, I'm the new wine. They experience the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God in conflict with one another. Remember, Jesus said in Mark 1 and verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus and the kingdom of God are intimately related but they come into conflict conflict with the religious community. Just for a moment, contrast the kingdom of darkness, the religion of that day, with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of darkness, whether that day or today, advances by controlling and consuming others, not by creating anything new. The kingdom of God, Jesus Christ, gives people back their minds, their bodies, their freedom to live in relationship with God. Chapter 1 and verse 24, or 25, Be quiet, said Jesus sternly, come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. He healed people. He brought freedom. The religious world, the kingdom of darkness, controls people. Stop and think about the religions in the world today, how controlling they are. You have to do this and this, and if you don't do this, you don't make it. All kinds of rules and regulations. Jesus comes and offers himself as a person. I'm the bridegroom. I'm the new patch. I'm the new wine. The kingdom of darkness. There's hatred, contempt for humanity. In chapter 2, the Pharisees saw Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors. And the question was in verse 16, why why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Contempt for those sinners, contempt for those tax collectors. What does Jesus do? The kingdom of God. Love, compassion for humanity. The kingdom of darkness. There's enslavement. There's rules. The Pharisees had rule after rule. And if you followed them, you were pretty good. Religious systems today have rules upon rules. What does Jesus do? He forgives sin and frees from sin. 
Please understand that Christ moves us beyond rules to freedom. My parents did not have a lot of rules when my brothers and sister and I were growing up. In fact, mom and dad had very few rules. The reason they didn't have a lot of rules is because their focus was relationship. When there's relationship, you don't need a lot of rules because when there's relationship, you want to respond to the one in authority over you because there's a relationship, not because of the rule. So I went off to Tennessee Temple University and they had this handbook with all kinds of rules. You know, I couldn't hold hands with my wife on campus because someone might think that they're promoting something that's not good. You had to have your hair a certain length. You had all kinds of rules about when you had to be in the dorm and so on. And I looked at those rules and I thought, why do you need these, excuse the terminology, dumb rules? Anyone with common sense knows you don't need them. Why do you have to be told to go to class? You go to class because you want to, because you're there to learn. Why do you want to come in at night at 2 o'clock in the morning and be a deadhead the next morning when you go to class, when you're paying good money? See, the relationship. You say you think strange, Pastor. That might be true sometimes. But see, Jesus offers himself freedom from enslavement to respond to him out of love. The kingdom of darkness, the religious community avoids sinners and tax collectors, rejects them because they don't measure up. Jesus heals sinners as the physician, spends time with sinners, and he accepts them. He sees Levi, and he calls Levi, follow me. And then he goes to his house and has a feast with him. The other day I had a funeral, and after the funeral we went to a meal together. And as I was sitting there looking around, I thought, how many of these people are believers? How many of them are all believers? And having conducted the funeral, you can read people's response. And I came to the conclusion quite a few were probably unbelievers. No, some people would put him in the category of sinners. But if I'm to model Christ, then I need to be with them. The kingdom of darkness was joyless. You've got to keep all these rules. That's true today. You know, we can have rules in churches doesn't produce joy, whereas Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, is festive. There is joy. Jesus says, how can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. As you read through the Gospel of Mark, there's this kingdom of darkness and this kingdom of light, and they butt heads over and over again. Question. How does Jesus' bridegroom, a new patch, a new wine, look in daily living? You know, we can hear God's word, we can understand it, but we got to live it. 
So for the disciples, first of all, the disciples spent time with Jesus as bridegroom, as a new patch, as new wine. For them, it meant Christ going to the cross. Here they are following their bridegroom, following the new patch, following new wine. And later on, we find that in Mark 7, Mark 8, he talks to them about going to the cross, and they don't get it. But following the bridegroom means the bridegroom going to the cross. It also meant the day of Pentecost, a great time when Peter preached and some 3,000 were saved. It also meant rejection by the religious leaders. Jesus got in the most trouble with the religious leaders. We find that the disciples get into the most trouble with religious people. It meant persecution. <clears throat> Here they are. Jesus is, or they're following Jesus, the bridegroom, the new patch, the new wine. And what happens? They get persecuted. Just like their bridegroom was persecuted. And then they die. Eleven of the twelve apostles died because someone killed them. You get the picture that following the bridegroom, the new patch, the new wine for the disciples was not a piece of cake. They had life, but it resulted in some difficulty. And the same seems to be true today as we walk with Christ. Not that we die, but it can result in some difficulty. As you think about Mark 2, Jesus stands in total, complete distinction to all religions and religious founders. Past, present, future. As the bridegroom, as a new patch, as a new wine, he is God's son. No religious founder that I know of has ever claimed Jesus or claimed to be the Son of God as Christ did. Jesus Christ baptizes with the Holy Spirit, chapter 1 and verse 8. No religion or religious founder claims we will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has a Father who is pleased with him. What religious founder or religious system has a, someone involved and says that God is my father and God is my father is pleased with me. He is able to resist Satan's kingdom. Jesus, in chapter 1, <clears throat> cast out an evil spirit. In chapter 1, he cast out demons. He healed people. He had authority over Satan's kingdom. He taught with authority. And people said in chapter 1, a new teaching, and even with authority. They were amazed. He commanded evil spirits, chapter 1 and verse 25, along with other passages. He has authority over sickness and demons. He's able to forgive sins, thus he is God. By the way, what other human in history said, I can forgive sins because I'm God, and then demonstrate it with a life? He knew what teachers of the law were thinking, 
as he healed the paralytic. Scripture says immediately Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. He healed the paralytic to show that he had authority to forgive sins. He's the doctor who heals sinners. In our pluralistic world today, we have tons of religions. You can go in a bookstore and you'll see shelf after shelf after shelf touting, promoting religions, spiritualism, and so on. But not one of them can claim what Jesus claimed. You consider Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, some forms of Christianity, they don't measure up to Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form. And I would challenge you, if you're a parent here or a grandparent, to firmly embed in the minds of your children and your grandchildren Jesus Christ and who he is. Because as they watch the news, as they watch television, as they see movies, as they go to school, as they're thrust out into the world, they're going to be told over and over again, there's this teaching, there's this philosophy, follow. And they need to come back time and time again to Jesus Christ. He is God's Son. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And following Him as bridegroom, as a new patch, as new wine, may result in persecution but we see the end. I'm fearful. Some of the evangelical Christian community today has fallen into the same pattern of religion as the Pharisees. That is, fulfilling duties, following traditions, we miss the freedom in Christ, relating to Christ. Christ as bridegroom. Christ as a new patch. Christ as a new wine. And give some examples. <clears throat> we can tell people, make sure you come to a church service. That's your duty. Come. I'm not opposed to attending church services, but I think it might be better if we come to worship God. Sometimes people ask me, or Ruth Ann and I, we're on vacation, you know, we usually go to church. And try to find a place to go Sunday night, and, oh, you're on vacation, why are you going to church? You don't have to, do you? No. I want to. I want to worship God with other people. See, we can have a list of rules and say, you've got to come to church, you've got to come to church. Jesus moves us far beyond that to want to. Because we're worshiping a great God with Christ as our bridegroom, a new patch, new wine. We may say, gotta read, <clears throat> gotta read the Bible. I'm not in any way, shape, or form opposed to reading the Bible. I would encourage you to read your Bible. But let's move beyond reading the Bible and say, well, I did my duty, I read my chapter today. So I'm experiencing Christ. It's a world of difference. Oh, I did my duty, I better read my Bible. No, I'm going to read the Bible. God's level louder to us. I'm going to learn about Jesus Christ and how he fits into my job, how he fits into my marriage, how I should respond. We can say, as we received our, offering earlier, received our offering earlier, give money. 
Now, I think it's wise to give money to the Lord. But let's move beyond that to responding to God's grace and give ourselves first to God. Ruth and I first got married, and we were poor. Really poor. There's a point in time, which I may have mentioned in the past, where we didn't have any food in the house other than a can of corn and a little flour. That was it. In a deep brokenness and my pride being broken, I went down to a mission downtown and asked for some food. One of the most humbling things I ever did. You know, because of proud Dan, you know, he takes care of his wife. So I said to myself, and I can't remember how much I discussed with Ruth Ann, we're so poor that we're not going to give to God anymore. Well, things went from bad to worse. So I said to Ruth Ann, we can't afford not to give to God. But God, over time, then moved me beyond that, moved us beyond that, not giving to get, but rather giving to respond to God's grace. See, initially it was, I better give because if I don't give, God's not going to bless me. Well, in light of God's grace, I want to give. See, we can have rules. You've got to give 10%. How about responding to God's grace? And if you have it, then maybe give 50%. Not because you have to, because of God's grace. See, it's so different. We may tend to focus on acceptable behavior. Well, I do right. I treat my wife well. But God wants to confront the inner evil desire that we might have and have us change from the inside out. There may be duties. Measure up. God wants us to delight in Christ. We may endure in trials or we may rejoice in trials. So someone comes to you and says, how are you doing? You say, I'm going through a great trial. I'm trying to endure. It's really tough. That stands in contrast to I'm going through a great trial, but I have Christ as my bridegroom as a new patch, as new wine, and he is enabling me to rejoice in my trial. It's a marked difference between the two. Jesus, as our bridegroom, as a new patch, as a new wine, makes a difference in job struggles. Unless I miss my guess, most of you go to the job and have at least one struggle on the job every five years. And talking to many of you, I think it happens more like once or twice a day, an hour. Depends on your job. So you walk off to work, you drive off to work, and you think, you know, Christ is my bridegroom. I'm called to be a testimony to him as I work. He's my new patch. He's the new wine. And I'm going to have some struggles today. There's going to be difficulties. But I want him to work in my life. God, you're my bridegroom. Work in my life in this job situation. Jesus as a bridegroom, new patch and new wine, can also work in family struggles. 
I don't know of a family that doesn't have at least one struggle once every five or six months. It would be a marriage, whether it be parents and children. In the midst of that, if you're a believer in Christ, Christ is your bridegroom. Christ is your new patch, is your new wine, wants to walk with you through that. The other day I said to Ruth Ann, I'm struggling. And I'm trying to be open with my wife. I'm working at that after 40, almost 40 years. I'm still working at that. You know, she should be able to read my mind, but she hasn't done that yet. So I shared with her I was struggling, you know, and just said, you know, I need some encouragement. And we talked a little while. And during the night, you know, God really dealt with me. So when I get up the next morning as I was spending some time alone with God and it's quiet and see the daylight come, I said, God, I need to confess to you that I really haven't been loving my wife because I'm telling her I need encouragement just in life overall when my encouragement is to be found in Christ. He's my bridegroom. He's my new patch. He's the new wine. And I said, God, I've been seeking contentment and fulfillment in someone encouraging me rather than in Christ and in Christ alone. So later on when Ruth Ann said, how are you doing, Dan? I said, well, I confessed. So in the midst of Ruth Ann and I struggling, and in the midst of my struggle with her, an encouragement, God ministered. He's my bridegroom. And if Ruth Ann encourages me or not, if others encourage me or not, he's still my bridegroom. He's a new wine, he's a new patch. He's unable to me to walk through. And the same is true of physical trials. We go through physical trials. Who walks with us? Christ, he's a new, bri- or a new wine, new patch. He's a bridegroom. So I could say to people at a funeral on Friday, in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your difficulty, I offer Jesus a relationship with him. And I didn't go into the new wine, new patch, and new, <clears throat> or uh, Christ being bridegroom just because of the nature of it and the context of it. But whatever the physical trial, he walks and wants to walk with us. And the same is true in salvation from sin. He's the new wine. He's the bridegroom. He's the new patch. He offers us life. It's not my doing. It's not my living a certain way. It's Christ. So stand before God someday. Now be accepted. Not because of all I've done but because of Jesus Christ. My question, is Christ your bridegroom? Is he your new patch? Is he new wine to you? In other words, do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? If not, why not trust him today?
But I have another question. Are you enjoying experiencing Christ as your bridegroom? The new patch, the new wine. As you walk through daily living, the joys and the struggles, the ups and downs of life, are you experiencing Christ as your bridegroom? The new patch, the new wine. Are you a doer of God's word and not a hearer only? Are you a King Saul or a King David? I've lived long enough to know that I can't fight with God and win. He always wins. So I've learned very quickly to say to God, you say it. I'll respond because you're my bridegroom. You're my new patch. You're new my new wine. How has God spoken to you this morning? Will you respond to him? So we sing some songs together. They're all centered in Christ and who he is. And think about the songs as we sing them about Christ in light of the fact that he is the bridegroom, new wine and a new patch. Travis?